Welcome, everyone, to It Simply Isn't Done, the Sermon Recap Podcast. I'm Reverend Jess Davenport. And I am Reverend Barry Petrucci. We are the pastors at Chapel Hill Church. And together we are the, the Irreverent Reverends. And uh, like the name would suggest, this podcast is the message from Sunday, where we share the scripture and then the sermon, and uh, we meet you back for some reflection on that message. There will be an opportunity to, if you look down in the notes, you will see a place where you can go directly to the reflection. If you already listened to the scripture uh, on the sermon, or if you just want to skip them all together and uh, just hear what we have to think about it, um, you can go there. We're happy you're here. We are indeed. So the series is Picture This for the six Sundays in Lent, and um, each week we'll have a picture. It might be an artistic representation, it might be a photograph, um, and it will be um, projected, but also in some way represented in the sanctuary with a porch. Uh, that porch is a space where we move from, uh, from the porch to the altar, and uh, the structure we have allows you to see through right to the altar. This week on It Simply Isn't Done, we are going over the message from March 5th, the second Sunday in Lent, and the message was born, based on John 3, verses 1 through 17. It's, uh, yeah, you got a heavy hitter in there in terms of scripture. It is a heavy hitter. (laughs) Exciting to get into that. Um, You all can listen to the scripture and the message. If you've already listened in the notes, you'll see the timestamp where you can catch up with us for reflection. However you get there, we'll see you there. Our scripture lesson this morning is from John 3, um, 16 through 17. 1 through 17, I'm sorry, okay. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you have, that you do, unless God is with you in person. Jesus answered him, Verily, verily, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter into the second, a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered him, I tell you truly, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished by what the... Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? 
Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. I have told you about earthly things, and you do not believe. How can you believe it if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as, the, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that anyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world may be saved through him. A word of God that is still speaking. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks, Mike. Mindful, I am mindful that before there was me, there was water and there was pain. My ridiculously small self screamed out, wanting, wanting, what? Wanting to return to womb without room, wanting breath in these barely developed lungs, wanting satisfaction for an unnamed hunger, wanting something to quench a parched throat, a sandpaper dry throat from newborn screaming. Born in water and pain, and so newborn me, this is life. This is life. And this is the life we know. It is the life that begins with first breath and concludes with last. A welcoming from what was and ascending to what will be. And that's just a piece of the conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus. Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin, a council of 70 rabbis men who made the religious, cultural, and governmental decisions for the Jewish people. And so Nicodemus was sort of a, he was sort of an uppity-uppy in the Jewish community. He goes to Jesus by night. He goes by night so as not to be seen as in any way supporting this Jesus. Curious, right? We might expect a question, but what we get is a statement that seems like the start of a question, but Jesus cuts him off. Nick says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these things that you do apart from the presence of God. And Jesus answers the non-question with, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. And so begins the discourse. That has, at least in the last century and a half, this discourse has become central to Christian theology. In the 1970s, when I left the subculture of sex, drugs, and rock and roll for the Jesus Freak movement, 
The entirety of the Jesus music and conversation was about the central question, hey man, have you been born again? Or even worse, hey, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? And so I was. I had the beach Bible study experience of the divine as I knelt and prayed the prayer inviting Jesus into my heart that I would be born not just of water, but of the Spirit of God. It was my ticket to heaven, and I got it punched. I was saved. That's what I was told it took. For what I was saved and from what I was saved was not necessarily clear. Last week, Jess began our series with leaves, reminding us of the shame Christian theology has put on the human since creation in the garden when we disobeyed God. Now, this second week of Lent, we consider this central relationship between creature and creator and between Jesus as shepherd and us as sheepish followers. I thought we would do well to consider born using this text from the lectionary. The Gospel of John is decidedly not like the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is poetic. John uses imagery and metaphor and a stylized Greek that makes translation to English a pure joy, right? Not so much. John was a Jewish mystic. So we would do well to begin by not expecting to get literal statements of fact from John, but we ought to rest with knowing we will get symbolism, we will get analogy, and no small bit of cryptic reference. We would do well to know that in John, particularly, truth is a much bigger affair than data. It's bigger than facts and historicity. It's bigger than our mere conclusions. John Shelby Spong writes, that, uh, writes what I think is a really good treatise on John and on our faith in his book, The Fourth Gospel, Tales of a Jewish Mystic. I remind you that the Gospel of John was written sometime during the last decade of the first century at the earliest, at least 70 years probably after the life of Jesus of, Nazar of the, Jesus the Nazarene. We really do not know, right, who wrote the Gospel as the most ancient of manuscripts has no authorship connected to it. It was written to Jewish community, and knowing that, we know that this ancient community had absolutely no sense that scripture or any manuscript on matters of faith should be read or understood literally. Symbolism was okay and expected. Scripture as the literal word of God is a very late creation in the Christian faith communities. Late and ill-defined as no one, no one I've ever read or talked with could well describe what reading literally looks like or means in terms of Scripture. Then continuing with Nick at night, the leader is a character that is representing a broader community. Both the author and Jesus use Nick at night to point the community beyond this flesh and blood to a broader truth. Both are used to show us our inability to see what is right in front of us. John offers in Jesus a whole new way of existing in the world. And in order to engage this new way of being, of this new way of being old stuff has just got to be stashed away. 
Nicodemus is offered as the archetype of religious authority. We expect him to be all caught up in policies and procedures, rules and regulations, and we are not disappointed. He comes in the night so that both Jesus and we can get up close and personal with those expectations. Jesus essentially tears them down for Nick and for us. John's telling of Jesus' life includes the one who turns water into wine, turns into the best of wines and gallons and gallons of wine for the celebration of life and love that is the wedding. This Jesus who overturns tables in the temple, this Jesus who, as Spong says, marches right into the belly of the beast that is Jewish and Roman authority and upsets it all by questioning the system and the place of God in that system. And this Jesus does it all in mystery without defending and seldom explaining. In the process, they and we go to the deepest, the deepest questions of life and faith. And so Jesus converses with Nicodemus at night to point beyond the flesh and blood of this body. No one can enter back into the womb, Nick, but we are born both of water and spirit. To be born of water is how we all enter into this world. The water breaks, and it is time for us to move from the warm confines of womb out into this life in the world, whether we like it or not. To be born of the Spirit, though, to be born of the Spirit is to move beyond flesh and bone into a deeper reality of what it means to be fully human. And so Jesus says, that which is born of flesh, that's flesh, that born of spirit is spirit. The spirit, the, the pneuma in Greek, it's the same word for air, for breath, for wind, for spirit. Pneuma, the same word for all of these ought to tell us something. Jesus connects that spirit with the mystery of wind that blows where it wills. We hear it, but we do not know where it comes from. We don't know where it's going. Our being born again is to receive this spirit of mystery, this spirit of openness to possibility beyond what we can see. Spong says that to be human is to enter into self-consciousness, to live knowingly in the medium of time, to remember the past and to be able to relive in one's mind. It is to anticipate the future and to revel in it before it arrives. And he goes on to say, to be human is also to embrace finitude and mortality. We did that last week. We marked our foreheads and reminded us in case we needed the reminder that we're mere human. It's to know that while your mind can roam beyond the limits of your body, your body is bound to time and space. To be self-conscious is to view all of life, he says, from within the center of the self, to look out to the world from the perspective of one who is, who is somehow separated and distinct from that world. And he goes on, to be self-conscious is to feel, to feel loneliness, to know anxiety, to be engaged in a chronic struggle for survival. It is to see oneself as related to the whole but without losing one's identity inside that hole. So, so in our text, Jesus receives Nick at night to move Nicodemus beyond his very limited closed vision and help him to see that he can be free to see limitlessly when we invite spirit to give us new or renewed birth. 
The teacher of Israel, Nick, is bound by rules, regulations, doctrines that ultimately constrict him to flesh and blood and create a box that limits our experience of spirit. Now, there are times. There are times when the body and the mind, the flesh and the blood we count on so rigidly fail us. And we know we need to go deeper, we need to go wider, that we need to reach beyond this realm we think we know so well. Sarah House has been a part of the Chapel Hill faith community for 15 years. The last year has been a year of learning full well that she is born of flesh and bone, and like all flesh and bone, there is fragility and there is limit, mortality breast cancer, lung cancer, metastasis, difficult news, hard decisions, trade-offs, treatments that at once heal and at once poison. The body born is ultimately frail. And the connection to God and Christ's community holds a broader vision. So in conversation, Sarah says to me, I have stage four cancer and I'm working my bucket list and one thing in that bucket list is to do the Holy Land with you who's been my pastor for lo these many years, so pastor, make it happen. So I really do not try to argue uh, with Sarah because it generally does not go very well. So I put a trip to the Holy Land together. A busload, finally, of 42 did, the Jor did Jordan and Israel, and then the Jordan side again. And we went to the river. We went to the river, the river where John did those infamous baptisms, where Jesus was baptized. We went to the river. We went to the river, and Sarah got in far enough, and I reached over far enough, and that chilly Jordan water flowed over her head over her head through the thin chemotherapy hair holding drops of water as we called up the promises made in her baptism. And she and we remembered and recommitted, reborn again. It is not just about this flush and bone and blood and water like the mystery of the wind. God's got this and is moving in us, around us, beyond us, and we hear just enough to know that our birth, that our, that our birth in a gush of water and pain was not the last utterance from this living God. John Philip Newell says that Jesus' myst Jewish mystics, maybe like John, understood that before birth, in our womb, without room, we knew God perfectly. Out of the womb, with all that is new and swimming around us, we begin the process of forgetting what we knew about God. Rebirthing. Newell's way of talking about what Jesus talked about with Nick at night, about rebirthing, is about getting in touch with some of what we knew, and this is reclaiming the spirit that was inherent in God's work of creation within us. Not simply made by God, you see, but made of God. Jesus tries to get Nicodemus to get it. But he needs to connect it for him to Nick's heavy Jewish tradition grounded in sacrifice. Jesus calls Moses lifting up the servant on a pole, literal, earthly. He does that in order that the people would be saved from venomous snakes, supernatural, the work of God.
In the same way, Jesus will be lifted up, literal, earthly, and death will be conquered. The Spirit blows where it wills. See the interplay between the earthly and the godly, the spiritual. To believe that death is conquered is to conquer death. And friends, that conquering of death is not a lottery. It is the ultimate will and work of God. God, who did not simply make us, but made of God's very self, offers this self and this life of creation without end eternally. Our belief or disbelief does not change it, but it does change our ability to begin living this eternal, eternity with God's very self now. It's very much like well, it's very much like Jesus sitting at a table with friends, and they're gathered around a meal that they've done before. It's part of the Jewish tradition. It is something that's said that you have to do because how we remember who we are. Jesus sits, a meal that told the story of Jew Jewish deliverance and slavery from Egypt. But this time, Jesus reforms the old story of the deliverance of flesh and bone, of blood and water, to tell the story of deliverance of spirit. This bread, that's my body. This cup, that's my blood. Eat them in deliverance, and eat them in remembrance of me. The remembrance is not of body and blood, but of what those mean for the spirit that is no longer enslaved to the body, to old forms, to rigid religious doctrine. Jesus calls us to remember and to be free. Amen. 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 Welcome back. Yes, welcome. We're going to talk about uh, that hunker of a scripture. <laughs> I'm glad, I thought you were going to say the hunker of a sermon. <laughs> it's like, wow. Oh, yeah, no, no it's, uh, it's one of the most, if not the most quoted, you know, scripture in Christendom, whatever you consider that but often without any of the accompanying verses around it. Most definitely so. Um, without any context. But before we get into those specifics, it's led to you had born um, as, your, as your theme that kind of drove us into the scripture. What did you want us to know? Yeah, so there was a lot going on this week because we had communion for some in the month. Um, but that, that scripture of, uh, that's often just reduced to you must be born again without a whole lot of conversation about what that is. Um, and, and I wanted us to, to wrestle a little bit with that and in the context of that, be able to say something bigger about how we read scripture. You know, just as you did last week, I felt like the need to follow up on that because um, we still have an awful lot of sense in cultural Christianity of something called uh, literal reading of the Bible, and I don't think we can do that. If we could do that with any text, we can't do it with John. It's not, uh, it's not what is intended there. So I want to do something about um, our mortality, but more importantly for this text, that there is something broader and deeper than than uh, the mere fl flesh and blood. Sure, yeah, and um, it is well worth it to. Um, at least flip back on our broadcast page to see some of the images that are shown each week in worship, but I think particularly this week have a little, we started with a little babe in NICU, yeah. hooked up to some things, and then eventually some photos 
of you and Sarah and others um, remembering baptism of the Jordan. Very powerful images to kind of drive some of that home. Yeah, yeah. I saw the I saw the baby, and I asked um, Tanya, our communications director, to, to see if she could find me a um, a newborn picture. And as she was flipping through, I saw that one with Nikki, and that seemed to hold the kind of fragility in an image that I was interested in, in us wrestling a little bit with. And then would come back to in the images of Sarah and, and story and Sarah's story that I told with her permission and went over it with her exactly what I was saying and how she kind of blessed that. So that was important because she's at a, at a fragile place and uh, a place where definitely um, feeling like there is, a, there's a terminus to this, to this life that we ordinarily don't think about once you have a terminal disease. Mm -hmm. It gets real. Yeah. And um, I think in addition to that being a specific and unique story of Sarah's, um, the rest of us could resonate a lot with it because we either ourselves have been there or know, right. you know, someone near and dear to us that has been in that space and um, trying to process it through our faith and who we are can be complicated. It really can, and I, and I apparently drew the uh, short straw for the series because I get to do grief in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, I get thirst next week, and then, and then there's grief. Yeah, important things for us to um, to think about through Lent. You know, this whole series is interesting because we, we are using the lectionary texts, um, but we're kind of going about it in a, in a different way. If you had... Um, if you had to think of what folks would visualize or what would be the cue you'd ask people um, to picture uh, this week coming from your message? That's hard because we had the images of, of fragile life, but I would, would really hope that they would hold that image of, of Sarah and others gathered around the Jordan and that claiming of, of a life that's not just about what we what we feel what we deal with every single day but there's something joyous and great that, that goes beyond that so that, that's the that's the picture i would hope that they would hold yeah and i wonder how folks could also um yeah consider that in their own lives that's really so much of this on ash wednesday um we start and we hit that kind of heart of what does it what does it mean to acknowledge your finitude and from that place um, you can experience real joy so I like the the carrying out of that theme in a way that doesn't feel really um, heavy-handed and penitent so much as a reclamation yeah mm -hmm. yeah it seems to me that, that that really is what the season is about we tend to to do it as kind of this self-flagellation thing that um, we, we just kind of stink as human beings and and everything in our relationship to God is getting over the fact that we stink as human beings. And that is such a mis, uh, a misteaching, a misunderstanding of how God understands us. Uh, we revisited in, in my Sunday school class this morning. We revisited the creation and that absolute repetition of "this is good, this is good." And and even when God puts the human out east of Eden, God never says you stink. Well, yeah, and I, 
we have a lot of church fathers, um, I think, to thank for some of that. Sure. <laughs> some sure. of that intense, um, non-representative, you know, theology that, that really focuses on human fallenness. And uh, there is something about us where we would rather focus on human fallenness than God's goodness. And I think that says a lot about who we are. And um, I know something we're trying to do is help folks um, reclaim that and, and our own divine goodness within that. It's a fragile time in the world. Um, it's a fragile time for folks if you don't have um, a privileged identity. So finding spaces where you're affirmed um, and told you're made in the image of God is is even even more important, not that it ever wasn't important. And so hopefully some of our work during Lent um, can help folks uh, claim that. Like, What does it mean to... Not to be fragile, but also made in God's own image. What does that say about who God is and who we are together? And God creates us fragile. Yes, yeah. Right? I mean, absolutely, absolutely in need of care from the moment we are birthed. More more than any other species. Yeah. You know, humans are born not, not developmentally where a lot of other species yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, need, we definitely need from the moment... Um, really we are conceived, which is a fascinating way that God works. Yeah, and we, we get the the thumbprint of, and God saw that they were very good. Mm-hmm. You know, as all the creation gets, it was good. We get, and this day was very good. Mm-hmm. And this day of creation was very good. So it's interesting that the, the fragile ones get claimed very good, and the ones who are, um, who are granted this free will to do that which is not pleasing to God, um, still is granted this closeness to the divine. Yeah. Um, so, John three sixteen. Yeah. That's whew, That's a lot. Um, you didn't. Yeah, you're. You don't see him, but he's holding up a fake sign. <laughs> like we're at a ballpark. <laughs> you didn't go at this directly. I did not. Um, but you went, you went around it right, a little bit. So we arrived there. I want to, I want to talk about that. Sure. I want to talk about how you crafted that, how you thought about that, um, and how, what you wanted to leave folks with, particularly surrounding that scripture. Yeah. So I made a decision, um, from the get go that that is such a kind of a sacrosanct scripture for lots of people they think they that it that it is holy for them and they think that they get it and for me to go straight on to saying okay this is what you've heard it said but here's what i'm going to say to you didn't think that was the most helpful way so i I wanted to go about it as an approach to the entire way john approaches um the human and the divine and let people ask questions about that. I already had, and also had in the back of my mind, I'm teaching this adult class, so if yeah. it's an opportunity, people can come back on it. Um, I really wanted them to be able to raise questions for themselves about it rather than me anticipate what the questions are for them and, and give them the answer that I think they ought to have. So it was, it was intentional. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yes. Let me say it this way. It was strategic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, is, it can be precarious, um, you know, because there's this balance of um, how, to, how to address that sort of stuff without 
pushing against uh, folks in the pew, you know, so hard that they can't even hear what you're saying. Because for so many, like you said, that that scripture is like tattooed on their heart. Like that is, you know, they will, if they don't remember anything, they will remember that. We heard from others, they were forced to memorize that and um, it doesn't represent their theology, right? So it's it's an interesting it's an interesting conundrum to be in during Lent. Yeah, to, to go to that text without having this extensive conversation about um, the nature of heaven and hell for John for the Johannine community uh, really doesn't make any sense. You can't do it, in a, you cannot do it in a fifteen minute sermon. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's Not just, a class. It's, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Um, and and again, strategically, I started it because where where I went after I put a bunch of uh, notes together is I went poetic and I wrote this opening poetic piece because I wanted people to wonder about where it was going right from the get-go with a different kind of language and a non-prosaic way to approach a sermon. For good, bad, or indifferent, that's that's what I was trying to do, just to help them get that all of scripture is not this this kind of data-driven prose. In fact, very little. Of it. <laughs> yeah, very like, little I, of it is. Very yeah, maybe maybe numbers. You know, there's not there's not much. <laughs> <laughs> and, and those numbers have no decimal points. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, those those numbers are uh, you know question, questions are around them. Yeah. Why I um I was thinking about that because it, it's not unlike your homiletical style to start with poetry that you've written. Um, I'm not sure, you know, it's happened before, so it's not. Has it? I have to, to double-check. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was not as intentional, but that's something, um, that's a way that you, I think, often uh, weave things into messages, um, you know, in, I guess in less TED talk ways. That's how I feel like I... <laughs> well, I, t- I, t- I tell you, part of, part of what I think drives it very early on, like after I graduated, seminary, um, I went back for a, a consecration um, celebration where they do, they bring special speakers in for a week. And, and Walter Brueggemann was there and did uh, a week-long series that became his book, Finally Comes the Poet. And it is talking about poetic, uh, try again, prophetic speech being aligned to poetic speech. And that the, and that the, the prophet is speaking at a level of poetry rather than prose, that mm-hmm. a, a level that, that invites people into a rhythm rather than inviting people into a set of facts. Well, I think that's really helpful too because um, I'm not sure that if we pulled your average Christian on the street, they would even indicate that scripture is prose. You know, like I, I think some folks do really think it's like this is like the Wikipedia article. Of what happened with Jesus, <laughs> and you know, like it's just fact, fact, fact that yeah, people treat it more encyclopedic, encyclopedic yeah. um, than than they even understand it. As I'm afraid you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I really am afraid you're right. Well, and I, yeah, I mean, that's um, uh, there's enormous, enormous uh, life changing benefits in getting scripture into everyone's hands, and. It takes a little work. It does. I mean, it, it may be the best-selling book in the world. It's also the least read. Yeah. And let's even talk about how well it's understood. Sure. And and even those of us um, that 
that have gone, you know, have 90 hour master's degrees and more studying it or know the biblical languages. Like it is, it just makes it more of a mystery, frankly. <laughs> well, well, that's, that's why we keep encouraging people to get into a Bible study group mm -hmm. because one, most of us find it incredibly difficult to read on our own. Two, we don't read it correctly because we think we're going to read it like any other book and start at the beginning and go to the end. Not the best way to go. And uh, reading it in a group allows this this kind of um, larger spirit to engage the text. And it's, it's just good. Not to mention, it's fun doing it that way. Yes. There's, there's a commercial, folks. <laughs> there is. There's a mini commercial. Um, and right now we have Bible study in two ways for... Um, for adults and young adults, you know, uh, I think high school students would find it really accessible. We have a daytime Bible study that's um, soup and study, where we literally just read the Bible and we stop and we ask questions together. And then Barry is leading a section of Disciple on Tuesday evenings. Um, and Disciple is a, is a program that was created initially just to get folks um, a really, really good basis of, of the entire breadth of Scripture. And now... Um, Folks here are at the point where you're kind of doing segments or particular mm -hmm. books. And Sunday morning, we do have a, a small Bible study class in the upper room. And right now I'm teaching a, a segment for Lent that is essentially Bible study as well. Yeah. And um, so those are what's happening now. There'll be more in the future, um, knowing that sometimes folks have to think through um, where best their energies lie. Yeah. yeah but we want to keep inviting people into, um, into the Word because, you know, Barry, how many, how, so how many years have you for real been doing ministry? For real since, so I was commissioned, not commissioned back then. It was, uh, it was uh, made a, a probationary deacon, right? I was a deacon We're back probation. then. And uh, deacon. so that would have been 1984, but I started serving a church in 80, 82. Okay. So. A long time. 41 years. Sure. <laughs> Give or take. And um, I have not been doing this as long. And <laughs> oh, we don't go down. We don't get to do your numbers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I started working at my campus ministry when I was yeah. nineteen, right? And I have only I've only ever worked in churches since yeah. then. And um, there's not a lot of books I would say I've consistently like you know been in love with or find something new. And there, I don't know. I think the Bible's really magical and constantly revealing and part of that is that we believe that the holy spirit inspired it and, and god is working through it and there's just so flipping much of it <laughs> there's a lot of it to look at so when you see a verse someone's holding up that says john 316 like a bumper sticker and they're really trying to encapsulate the entirety of the faith i understand our human desire for that and for simplicity and it just doesn't do it there's a lot more, there's a lot more nuance and, and breath over the thousands of years we've been around trying to figure out how to follow Christ. You know, we've got a closed canon, but God is not done speaking. You know, as the as the UCCs uh, have such a good slogan, such a good slogan. We yeah. missed it with the comma. God is not done speaking. I mean, that's the, the continued work of the Holy Spirit is mm -hmm. is revelatory, and that's why I think we keep. We keep going over this book and keep reading new things. And I mean, I've been doing this for a long time and I still crack open a very familiar chapter like John 3 and I go, huh, I don't remember seeing that before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially there's continued work on translations. There's all sorts, like scholars are still doing work right now. We're still um, learning a lot. 
which is to say, we're grateful that you um, that you all show up. Sometimes, every once in a while, someone will come up and say, hey, I really liked it on my podcast. We're shocked. <laughs> it's great, because we really don't hear from people. But in, in Bible study on Tuesday night, someone that has only been connecting online was in person at Bible study. said, I really love your podcast. It's great. <laughs> okay. So we're happy you all want to join in this conversation um, with us and, and grateful that you're here and also find... Um, you know, find scripture so enticing and the, and the person of Jesus so compelling. You want to be here with us. Thanks for being here. Good to be with you.